ready. Um, except I can't get mine open and ready. There we go. Judges chapter 16. If you're regularly here, then you'll know we've been in this series. We come to the end of it today. This uh, rather extraordinary story of Samson. I'm going to pray. <coughs> Father, we ask this morning that you'd keep our hearts soft to your word. And that you'd meet us where we are and move us closer to where you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Christmas I did something that I hadn't done in 32 years. I went to meet some people whom I hadn't seen for 32 years. I went to London to do it. I went to London to a reunion of PE students of St. Luke's Exeter University whom I trained with. We had originally planned to meet in the summer, but for various reasons that's abandoned the idea because I think in the end I was the only one who could go. But last Christmas we met in a pub in London. So I sit off in Crawley looking forward to meeting guys I had not seen for 32 years. I guess I was a little apprehensive as how the conversations might go now that I am a minister. I was hoping I might get something along the lines of, oh, well, that's what we'd have expected from you, Ian. You always were quite religious, weren't you? Well, it was only when I was nearly at the pub that it dawned on me that I might not actually recognize any of them, apart from Tappy, who I have seen a few times over those last years. So I devised a plan. I would arrive slightly late so that when I walked into the pub, they would recognize me. I would arrive and eventually I would walk into this pub just up the road from London Bridge Station. I'd wander around and I'd hear the words, Ian, over here. So you can imagine my shock when I walked into the pub just up the road from London Bridge Station to be met with a wall of about 500 people crammed into this pub. It was, of course, a few days before Christmas and everybody was out for an after-work drink. Not to be defeated, I pushed my way through the crowd and thought, I know what I'll do. If I just walk around and do a circle, still I will hear the words, Ian, over here. However, I got all the way back to the door and nobody had said anything. Eventually, after about 15 minutes of standing at the door, hoping desperately I might recognize someone as they walked in, I went up to the guy who, like me, appeared to be waiting for some people. And I said, hi, don't suppose you're waiting for students from St. Luke's, are you? And he said, yes, I am. Who are you? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm Ian Phillips. Who are you? And he said, I'm Rob Hall. And then I recognized him. Eventually, the others arrived, most of whom I have to say I did recognize. I would have got everybody else, just not Rob. We had a great evening catching up. 32 years is a long time. When I got home, I went up into the loft and I found this photograph, which if you want to, you can come and have a look at afterwards because it turns out I'm still as handsome as I always was. <laughs> this is a photograph of most of the guys 32 years ago at the end of our course. And I got it out to have a look at us. We all looked... <laughs> Very young, actually. May 1986. Don't say gosh. Some of you are older than me. May 1986. 
We all look quite young. We, we did all look a bit older, I have to say, in the pub. We all look very keen. We had just finished four years of training, and we were about to be hurled into the world of work. Most, but not all, of these guys were going to become teachers. And it turns out, which did surprise me, that most still are. I, I thought most of them would have left, because it's getting harder. But they're all, most of them are still teaching. The ones that went into teaching are still teaching. But looking at this picture gave me some pause for thought. Not everybody in this picture was at the reunion. Only about half the guys were there. That's because some couldn't make it, they had other things to do. Some people we couldn't contact. But the, reason, the whole reason for the reunion was that we lost one of our group earlier last year. Life had gone tragically wrong for him. He had become an alcoholic, and he died a result. This is a photograph full of hope and expectation, waiting to begin. The reunion told a different story. In my opinion, Simon, who's the guy who died, was probably the best all-round sportsman. And you need to understand, some of these guys were really good. I was the all-rounder. I was the one, apart from cricket, which I still hate. I, um, I could do them all, but not to the level that any of these could. They were all better than me. But Simon was particularly gifted and a very exceptional footballer. But I'm, and funny enough, I met him a few years ago at Pound Hill Junior School when I went to do an assembly. He recognized me, I'd never have recognized him. And I figured out something had gone wrong because I think, why is he supply teaching in a primary school in Crawley? Doesn't make any sense. I actually asked the school if I could have his details afterwards but because they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't give them to me. So I gave them my details, but he never contacted me, and I didn't realize what was going on for him. Life went wrong. Didn't turn out the way he planned. The beginning of our story as a group was one of hope and expectation. For one, at least, the ending was tragic. We are told the beginning of the story of Samson. We are told at the beginning that this is a story of hope and expectation. His birth is foretold by an angel to a barren young woman. He will be set apart from birth to be a Nazarite. He will lead the deliverance of his people from the hands of the Philistines. And right at the beginning of the story, we are told that the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord stirred him. And remember, that is only said of Samson as a judge. This is a story of hope. And anticipation, but here's how it ends. Now, I'm going to read quite a lot of the story today. Sometimes I think we don't read enough of the Bible in church, so here we go. I'm going to read from verse 4 of chapter 16, and here's how the story of Samson ends, in case you don't already know. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each of us will give you um, 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. 
But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with the men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off, with the, off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All of this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric of a loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his, hair, of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with a pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the, lo- and pulled up the, pin and the loom and the, with the fabric. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and have not told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding the grain in prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved off. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled in order to offer sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who has laid waste to our land and and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood among the, the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about a thousand men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and fathers went, the whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel, in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He led Israel 20 years. We don't know for sure who Delilah was. Some suggest that she was, in fact, the younger sister of his wife, whom he had been offered when his wife had been given away, if you remember back to the story. 
Most think she was a Philistine, but some people think that she may actually have been a treacherous Hebrew. What we do know, according to the text, is that Samson loved her, and that is not said about any of the other women in the story. Delilah is most often blamed for Samson's demise and end, but that, in truth, is probably unfair. The truth is that Samson was, in fact, his own worst enemy and had been on the path to his own end for a long time. It's true that Delilah wore him down, but Samson set his own path and had been living that way for decades. Someone once said, it's not how you start the Christian life that matters, it's how you end it. If that's true, how are you doing, friends? Samson had in truth been headed this way for a long time. So maybe the question becomes this, how about you? Which way are you headed? Samson confesses the truth about himself to Delilah. I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. It appears that Samson knew the truth about himself. Or at least he knew the theory. But believing in an idea does not make that idea a reality. So how about you, friends? Samson both believed the truth and did not believe the truth. Samson was called to be set apart, which he knew and understood, because he just told Delilah that. But he mostly seemed to live in a way that ignored that or even rubbished his call. So the question becomes, how are you living? Maybe another way to say it is, what do we say we believe? But when we look at our life, our life tells us a different story. I'm wondering if actually we can live like Samson too. We both believe and we don't believe. We believe, you're going to have to stay with this one, right? We believe that what we believe is in itself enough. But we never actually live what we believe. And if that's true, then we will never reach our full redemptive potential. And God says, that's absolutely tragic. Could it be said that Samson's death was tragic? Well, certainly the events leading up to his death are tragic. Delilah, it seems, lures him with a series of sex games. If you read it into the text, guys, and she had people hiding in the room while it was happening, right? Nothing new there then. She wears him down with sex. 
gets him to tell the secret. Ultimately, she betrays Samson for money. Well, nothing new there then either. And in fact, one commentator worked out that if they all brought 1,100 shekels, she would have been a billionaire in those days. This is a significant amount of money. Samson is betrayed by the one woman it appears he actually loved. Tragic. And the Philistines play with him once they know the reason for his strength, or so they think. Samson has his his eyes gouged out, which is tragic, since it appears that he lived by following his eyes. And the Philistines are having a party, and it appears that Samson would be the ultimate celebration. Victory over the Israelite, who has caused them so much trouble. And some scholars suggest that Samson would actually have been offered as a sacrifice to the Philistine god Dagon, which would have been the ultimate shame because it would have shown that their God was more powerful than the Israelite God. Surely at this point, Samson now realizes his fate and maybe now his heart turns toward God and Samson prays. Only this time he prays specifically to the one true God, Yahweh, his God. This time he prays to the one who set him apart before his birth, the one who has loved him and hoped and waited, the one who has actually in truth given him his great strength, the one who has longed for him to reach his full redemptive potential. We had a lovely discussion in my life, uh, life group, of which I'm part on Wednesday, of how this story could have been different if Samson had chosen to live differently. We'll never know the truth of that, but we talked about it anyway. The one who is patient, the one who is waiting for Samson, for Samson's heart to turn. Perhaps, perhaps when he prays, Samson is still angry. Perhaps he is partly, mostly still thinking of revenge. He actually uses that word in his prayer, doesn't he? Let me get my revenge. Mind you, let's be honest, he's been betrayed by the woman he loves. He's been tortured. He's had his eyes gouged out. He's been treated as a slave and he is about to be executed. Wouldn't you be a bit miffed? Some commentators see his prayer as, as again, utterly selfish. It's all about Samson. Others want to recognize that this time at least, Samson was ready to put himself before others and sacrifice himself. What we know, and we've seen it in the story before, and it's still, in my opinion, remarkable, what we know is that God answers his prayer. Why ever he prayed it? Samson was given great strength one more time. He found his way to the center of the temple. He put his hands on the pillars, and one more time he pushed with all his might. The temple collapses, and many, many die with him. The ruling elite of the Philistines died with Samson that day. This tragic ending would severely damage the political and military strength of the Philistines. And this act of Samson effectively paved the way for the Israelites who would follow Saul, David. Interestingly, only three stories in the Bible talk about the Spirit of God coming in the way it was described in the story of Samson. Those three stories are the stories of Samson, the story of Saul, and the story of David. Samson, it appears, is in good company. And in case you haven't read it, 
Samson makes it into the list of heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. In his last act, Samson shows that the God of Israel is the one true God who, it turns out, is far more powerful than the God of the Philistines. Dagon's mythical power is simply no match for Yahweh's universal power. So what of Samson's death? Well, perhaps at the individual level, Samson's life and his death were indeed tragic. But there is a much bigger and a much better story at work here in this story. And shockingly but wonderfully, Samson is found in that much bigger and that much better story. What perhaps we can see that Samson never did was that God was at work in the mess. I'm still trying to get my head around that. What we can perhaps see that Samson never did is that God is quite capable of taking and using mistakes in his story. What perhaps we can see that Samson never did is that God is quite capable of using our foolish choices, however destructive they might appear, and bringing about the bigger and better story of the kingdom of the heavens. What we can see that Samson never did was that he is included in the list of heroes of faith, a testament to the truth that God is at work. And what we can see that Samson never did is that this story points us to another story. Another story of a baby whose birth was foretold by an angel and who was set apart before his birth, a baby who would sacrifice his life so that others may be saved by his self-sacrificing death with arms outstretched. And what we know that Samson never did is that we are not called to follow his life. We are called to follow the one to whom his story points. The one whose death didn't just win a victory over the Philistines, but the one whose death won a victory over Satan and the power of evil. The death that defeated death once and for all. If you've taken the time to read the story of Samson, which I really hope you have as we've been going through this story, otherwise you could miss so much, much of the story probably remains a mystery. certainly does to me. There is much about this story that we simply don't understand. There is much we don't understand about exactly why and exactly how God was at work in this story. It is in truth an extraordinary story in so many ways. Perhaps though what is more extraordinary is that God is still in the business of working his extraordinary story in and through the lives of ordinary people just like you and just like me. So the God of the extraordinary is at work in the ordinary. And, and just as we so often, if we are honest, find ourselves living in the story of Samson, 
we find ourselves too in the far bigger and the far, far better and more extraordinary story of the magnificent grace of the one true God. So did Samson's life come to a tragic end? Well, I'm going to leave you to figure that one out yourself. And I'm also going to leave you to figure out how you are going to walk to the end of your life. I'm going to leave you for a moment to dwell with whatever it is that God is doing in your heart and your mind in these moments. So why don't you just take a moment as I prepare this table to ask God what it is He wants to say to you this morning.